Make sure to check out our Facebook and website for the updates on Colorado Festival of Horror, September 15th through the 17th. All right. Hello, everybody who's being uh, quarantined out there, uh, like you should be doing, being responsible and all, uh, looking out for uh, the least among us. Uh, anyway, I'm Dan Crozier with uh, Cofo Live and I'm Dead, and I'm here with uh, my friend Brian Bonner, a paranormal uh, investigator and a man of many talents, all in the realm of horror. So welcome. How are you doing? Oh, you know, stuck at home. <laughs> uh, which we all are. Actually, I'm surprised at how many people are absolutely ignoring the quarantine. Yeah, it's it's pretty troublesome. I've seen a lot of uh, photos uh, here in Denver being posted with uh, groups of people having picnics. I mean, you know, in large groups, too. In well, in public domains. T today being the holiday that it is, uh, all of the churches seem to, well, not all of them, but a lot of the churches seem to be open. So I'm referring the, to today as uh, National Reset the Clock Back to Two Weeks Stuck at Home Day. Yeah. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I looked at uh, the COVID-19 uh, website for uh, Colorado um, that uh, uh, the state government uh, updates and we spiked again uh, on uh, on Friday, uh, yep. so it's yeah, it's uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be clearing up anytime soon. No, no. Um, but it has. Uh, I was going to say it has been an advantageous because uh, it's locked me into the house to where I have to watch horror movies all the time. That's cool. Uh, what have you been able to? To consume every horrible movie that was made from 1930 to 1960 i've pretty much worked my way through no kidding yeah there's a lot of really good resources online uh, youtube especially for just obscure really bizarre horror movies and you know i'm watching the classics too but yeah i've already seen them so i'm trying to find things that i haven't yeah, f find those little diamonds in the rough. Exactly. Is there? Yeah. Okay. Is there any? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> go for it. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to see. You know, is there any that you can recommend that people can go and search? Uh, you know, I'm a sucker for the classics. So you know, go look for some Vincent Price. Yeah. Go look for you know Boris Karloff, and not just his horror stuff. He he did some amazing work. He did some dramatic pieces too, right? Oh, he's done a ton. And I'm finding all sorts of obscure things that it's like, well, I've heard about it, but I haven't actually seen it. So yeah, we have the time now. Was it, wasn't he in a film with uh, Jack Nicholson? That was a, it was a Roger Corman uh, production, but I can't remember the name offhand. Oh, the Jack Nicholson one was uh, uh, right here. The original Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, okay. I, that I was that was the Jack Nicholson Corman one, because that was Nicholson's first film. Yeah, I thought I thought they were in a period piece together with with Boris Karloff towards the end of his career. Uh, I think they were in a, and I'd have to look it up. Um, uh, Hammer film. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, that's right. I think you're right. Yes. 
Yes. Which has been my other one of watching all the Hammer movies again. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, man, that's pretty awesome. Um, so, uh, Brian, you know, take us back. Yeah, I mean, we're ch- granted we're changing subjects and everything, but uh, yeah, take us back. You know, uh, what makes Brian Brian? Why uh, why have you been so interested in like uh, paranormal and, and horror? You know. Uh, was it something that emanated uh, from from childhood? Uh, bad choices. Too much of this. Um, <laughs> too much Guinness, huh? <laughs> there's never too much Guinness. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, long story, real short. I'll blame my mother. Excellent. Uh, because she was really interested in the horror movies and nice. really liked watching it, and I, I kind of got it from that. Okay. And you know, the paranormal investigations came from that because, you know, there were things that they were claiming were real. Mm-hmm. And you know, growing up, I was always told that's not real. So it confused me and I had to look. Yeah. And back about, I'll say 22, 23 years ago now, mm-hmm. I decided to see who was doing it who's looking into these types of things and there were a few yeah but i talked to them and they were really sketchy in the way that they were doing things they were more and you run into this in the paranormal field a lot where they're not actually doing research they're going out and having a good time with a lot of confirmation bias Mm. don't get me you know there's i always tell people there's two things there's paranormal investigation yeah which is generally dry, boring, you learn a lot of history, a lot of science, so mm-hmm. I really dig it, yeah. but it's it's not thrilling. And then there's ghost hunting, which I always classified as, you know, me getting together with a bunch of my friends, grabbing some beers, going to the local cemetery, drinking ourselves silly, and scaring ourselves. Yeah. Much more fun. Yeah. You'll find ghosts that way. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's not real research. And there's such a weird blur between those two now that it, it's hard to say, you know, who's doing what. But, you know, the, the Rocky Mountain paranormal way has always been to try and apply as much of the scientific method as possible. I mean, you're in the field, you're in uncontrolled conditions. It's not very easy to do, but you do the best you can. Yeah. Um when when you're out there uh, you know doing these investigations like who's actually uh, contacting you is it is it usually you know like uh, a homeowner or something like that or um, you know what what kind of people are, are normally uh, contacting you to look into this stuff well back when we first got into this it was it wasn't the popular field that it is now mm-hmm. it nobody really knew it existed except for people who had been exposed to it or people who truly thought something was going on in their home or their business. So initially we were being contacted mostly by just average run of the mill private citizens that were wanting us to try and figure out what was going on with them. Yeah. But back in the early two thousands, we had things like ghost hunters and all these TV shows and things really ramping up the, that interest in the field. And because of that, 
uh, people really started misinterpreting things a lot more. So we started seeing a lot more people calling us because they thought what was happening to them was exactly what they'd just seen on the TV show. So therefore it must be a ghost. Okay. And businesses started to realize that, hey, if I have a haunted restaurant or a haunted bed and breakfast, I'll bring in a lot more money. Ah. So they would like to have somebody come in and tell them that they're haunted, uh, which isn't always going to be the case when you call us in. Yeah. But at the same time, people started expecting us to bring in a TV crew. Oh, they call us and say, hey, we want you to show up and, you know, look at what's going on in the house. We talk to them, we show up at the door and they'd be like, uh, where's the production company? Oh, jeez. Like, yeah, it's like there's no production company. That's not what we're here for. Yeah. And as time's gone on, there's so much of that and so much of the, and this is my really depressing part of it, okay. uh, because people... <sighs> I'll say are accessible to the topic now and it's being exposed a lot more as far as what's supposed to be happening. If you have a ghost, uh, there's a lot of people who are blaming like domestic abuse on ghosts and a lot of people who now they'll have a psychological disorder and rather than going to a doctor, for example, like they should, uh, now they'll watch a TV show and go, oh, well, I'm hearing voices, they must be ghosts. So we're seeing this huge ramp up in people who need help. And I don't mean reassured there's nothing in their house or we don't know what it is, but these are people that are dangerous. either to themselves or others and it's gotten so bad that it's kind of a two-fold problem we don't really want to go tell her i need a beer uh yeah can you just do the uh just just email it over yeah uh but basically (laughs) yeah that was uncalled for uh (laughs) (laughs) but we have the the cases now that we don't want to go to them because we know that there's some sort of a issue like that going on and it's pretty easy to tell after you first talk to somebody or just read their initial emails right but at the same time we don't really want somebody else going out to their house because a lot of the paranormal groups out there will only confirm what they believe is happening mm-hmm. and add into the the problem that started the whole thing in the first place. You know, if you say the devil's making me beat up my wife every night because I'm possessed and a paranormal group comes in and says, oh yeah, you've got demons. Yeah. Because that's what the paranormal group's looking for. So they've got their bias. Yeah. It's, it's just compounding me, that, that problem. Exactly. Oh it makes it much worse. And that's the not-so-fun portion of the paranormal research. And one of the things, you know, people ask me a lot of the time, they're like, you know, what do I need to do to get into the field? Mm. And the real answer is, you know, number two, learn to use all of your equipment 
and things properly, do your research. But number one, realize that if you're going on especially private investigations, mm -hmm. you are impacting people's lives. This isn't a game when it comes to that. Yeah. And while it's fun and there's you know, lots of interesting things to see and do, you have to realize when you tell somebody that they have a demon in their house or when you tell somebody that, you know, well, we went to your house and you have three ghosts, but we were only to, able to take two of them home with us. You're stuck with the other one. The damage that you do to these poor people. Yeah. And one of the other things that we found out with people that have some sort of a psychological disorder that we really want to help we've tried working with different types of first responders, mostly the police. And unfortunately their exposure to the paranormal world is the same as the people that we're dealing with. Yeah. So they really don't know what to do. So it's a really big gap. We say these people are saying this is happening, but we believe this is happening. Can you, can you do a welfare check? Yeah. And if they do, they do it so so wrong you know they'll show up we had one they showed up door and they said yeah some paranormal group said there's a bunch of crazy people living here that's not the way to approach this no. do do you ever on on these uh have you ever brought in like somebody that uh is trained to, to work with these people in, in the sense of like a social worker or like a, a group psychologist or something somebody that can yeah, identify what you've identified, you know, as earmarks of, you know, yeah, these type of personalities and uh, behaviors that, uh, that indicate, uh, you know, some type of uh, abuse or, you know, uh, some other, maybe another mental uh, condition with somebody in the household. Well, the way that we have to approach this is we have a few people that we've worked with that can do that, but generally, the first step is to find out if these people genuinely believe it, because if they don't, it's, it's a battle lost. You need to get somebody else involved. Yeah. But if they genuinely believe that, you know, that something else is causing them to do this, mm -hmm. uh, you really have to learn to work with them at their belief. Okay. And, you know, do we have to bring in a member of clergy to act as a counselor? maybe hmm. or can we talk to them and sensibly bring them down and say okay you're having problems right now maybe even approach it as there might be something going on but you're having some psychological problems because of it you need to seek help yeah and that usually helps but being able to get them to go to somebody that they can trust talk to and has that kind of training yeah and that's something that's important that a lot of people in the field don't understand is we're not counselors. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, you know, we're going to go in and we'll go ahead and talk to them and make sure that everything's, you know, psychologically well for them. And it, that's, we may be able to go in there and diagnose it a little bit so we can help somebody who's going to help them, mm -hmm. but we're not counselors. Right. Wow, that's uh, that's something I really didn't uh, you know think about. I uh, you know back in the two thousands, you know I I would watch those shows you know like like uh, Ghost Hunters for example, and uh, you know first couple episodes, hey this is great, it's fun and it's 
it kind of sensationalizes, you know, that, uh, that field. And, and yeah, I can totally get where, where people they're calling you. It's like, they're expecting a TV crew and, and you know, to show up and, and uh, kind of be able to exploit, you know, the, uh, the situation, whether, you know, they think something's happening or they're creating it, um, you know, out of the possibility of some, some kind of financial gain, I suppose. Well, and that's something that I've found is I'm, I'm not going to name any specific shows like Ghost Hunters, uh, but, you know, for the first couple of seasons, especially that show, they never really found anything. They right. were actually doing a pretty good job. Okay. Uh, but, you know, ratings weren't that great. Mm. And then all of a sudden something happened. They found something and didn't explain it. Hmm. and most, most all of the reality shows, and if you look at the disclaimers at the end of all these shows, yeah. they'll refer to them as a, usually as a docudrama, which okay. means, you know, kind of, kind of reality, but scripted. Yeah. Uh, and they have to, because if you have a show that consistently doesn't find anything, and if you've ever done paranormal investigations, that's generally the, the case is you 99% of the time sit in a dark room, bored out of your mind and don't find anything, even if it's something that's explainable. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make for good advertising. Right. So, so when you find something, it's much better to say it may have been a ghost than it is to say, we don't think that was a ghost. Here's what we thought it was. Yeah. So that's really important for uh, advertisers. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and you know, with with your experience, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, yeah. You know, and let me know if I'm uh, uh, if I'm overreaching, but uh, you're not finding anything. You're you know, kind of uh, deducing. You know, could be X, could be Y. Um, you know, why, why keep doing it if you're not, um, you know, finding stuff? Um, that, that's paranormally I, driven, maybe. Uh, well, you know, it, it is that, that definition we all seek of repeating the same thing over and over again to expect different results. I love uh, infinity. <laughs> Uh-oh, you froze. Uh-oh. Oh, shoot. Did we lose you, Brian? Oh, no. Oh, there you go. You came back. Ah, there I am. <laughs> Resurrected. And it's Easter Sunday. It is so Easter. Best day for resurrecting the dead. Back after 30 seconds. Excellent. Uh, so now what I was going to say is you have to approach each claim on its own. Okay. And by saying I've solved all the cases because this one thing that was similar, we explained, doesn't mean that you've explained the other ones. Okay. And it's, it's kind of you know, multi-headed. We like to be able to help people understand if they think their house is haunted and we can tell them that you know, this is what's causing it. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to give them that, that power back in their lives so they can move on. Or 
Well, and for us, it's interesting because we can explain something which nobody else seems to have been able to go in and look at. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it's interesting to find these cases where it's like, I don't know. And that's kind of where we leave it is, I don't know. It's okay. either we've explained it or we're working on it. Okay. I don't immediately say, we know that it wasn't a squeaky pipe. We know that it wasn't trees rustling outside. Therefore, it must be a ghost. You have to say, therefore, I don't know because I don't have enough data. Mm. So it's our goal to keep collecting that data up until we come up with an answer or just keep looking at it. And up until then, it's a, I don't know what it is. Okay. And that drives people on both sides crazy because you have the, I'll say cynics on both sides that say, well, if you don't know what it was, it was a ghost or there's no such thing as ghosts. Therefore, why are you doing this? And it's like, well, because we want to know what, what the reality is behind every one of these claims. Right. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Scooby in the game, you know, unveiling the, the curtain and uh, revealing, you know, that it's old man Witherspoon. Yeah, right. it was running the, the amusement park. It always was, but they still had fun doing it. Yeah, 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 true. Not not once did they say, oh, and this is the first time we've ever found a ghost. Right. But, but we tuned in every week to watch them unmask the same groundskeeper. Yeah, uh, unless it was you know, one of those crossover episodes where you had Batman and the Globetrotters, then you know it was uh, the Joker and the Penguin. Yeah, or the movies, because, you know, they had real ghosts in those. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, kind of changing the course a little bit, uh, you know, Brian, you've, you've done a, a couple of uh, like different events where you'll, you'll take uh, uh, groups of people out on uh, like ghost tours and, and bus tours and stuff. You know, what are some of your, uh, you know, more favorite, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, stories uh, that, uh, you know, you, you tour people around with? Well, let's see, a couple of locations. Um, one of my favorites, and it definitely falls into the I don't know what it was category, uh, downtown on Market Street, there's a place called Maddie's House of Mirrors. Oh, okay. Uh, not too terribly far from Coors Field. Yeah. And let, let's see if I can give you the short version of it here. Uh, back at the time that Denver was kind of first ramping up, uh, there was a reason that was called Market Street. Okay. Uh, it wasn't originally. It was first called Holiday Street. Oh, but uh, because all of the working girls were there, it became Market Street. Oh, wow. And Maddie's was one of the, I won't say first, but was kind of like the premier brothel. Uh, was built by a woman named Jenny Rogers. Mm -hmm. And there's even a story that if you look at the building, there's these like terracotta faces around the outside of the building. And they say that that's the men that she kind of squeezed the money out of to get the building put up. So that was some sort of a dedication to them. If that's true, I have no idea. Yeah. But she had a competitor in town. Uh, her name was Martha Reedy. She went by the name Maddie Silks. Mm. And they were kind of competitors, I guess. And Maddie really wanted that building. Uh, so the urban legend goes 
that uh, they had a sword fight over the property. It's absolutely yeah. not true. Uh, the property was sold. Okay. But the thing is, Maddie eventually got it, and this was an amazing building. Uh, when you went in there, she converted the lower floor, the main floor of the building, to a restaurant. Okay. And they called it Maddie's House of Mirrors because every surface in that building that she could put a mirror on, there was a mirror on. Wow. And it was it was a really respectable restaurant. You could have a business meeting there. You could take your family there and have dinner. Uh, you couldn't take them upstairs. Mm. Uh, that was where the brothel was. So yeah. when you went up there, uh, it was kind of interesting because it's a really thin building. Uh, so it was set up like a hotel. There were rooms on two sides and one central hallway that ran down the middle. Yeah. And I'm not going to quote you the prices because I don't remember anymore. Uh, but there were two options. You could get a girl in a room or a girl in a room with a potbelly stove in it for heat. And yeah. heat was expensive because it almost doubled the price of the room. But it was kind of an interesting setup because when you went into the rooms, you stepped to the side, closed the door, and the Murphy bed fell out and blocked the door. Oh, geez. So it was a way to lock the door. Oh, interesting. Okay. You were safe that way. Yeah. Well, there was one woman, uh, her name was Ella Wellington, and she was the one confirmed death in the building. There's rumors of a lot, but she seems to be the only confirmed one. However, the stories are mixed. Uh, some say that she killed herself. Some say that her boyfriend killed her. And a politician at the time claimed that he was there when she killed herself. Hmm. Uh, he was a politician, so take that for what you will. Yeah. Uh, but one way or the other, she ended up dead. Okay. And skip forward decades later, there's all sorts of stories of ghosts in the building. Uh, really interesting ones, too. Uh, stories of the elevator in the building randomly going between floors in the middle of the night when nobody calls it. Oh, uh, hearing people around the building, seeing people walking around when there's nobody else left. Uh, there was a piano on the second floor that was rumored to play by itself. So we got called in and went up there and as usual, and I don't know why, it was an absolute blizzard outside which is always good for us because it kind of limits how many people are around. Okay. And we were kind of just sitting on the second floor at our little, you know, base station that we had, uh, watching monitors and listening to the building. And all of a sudden from the area that the murder, suicide, whatever it was had happened, there was a voice. And it turns out it's actually two voices. It was recorded on a camcorder that was in the area. Um, we haven't even been able to identify the language. We've sent this thing off to a couple of linguists and they say we have no idea it's two people talking. Wow. Um, there was nobody in the building with us. Um, and, you know, obviously nobody outside. We've checked for footprints in the snow, which is a nice way to be able to check. 
So there's this really bizarre recording of two people talking to each other. Uh, if you go to the website, it's on the investigations page. You can listen to it. Nice. But yeah, it's really bizarre. Does that prove that there's a ghost there? No. I'd like to say yes, but it proves that we heard something and were able to record it. Okay. Are there possible other explanations? Probably. Sure. I, I haven't come up with them yet. It's been a long time. We've gone through a lot of explanations, but so far, I don't know what it is. And it kind of coincides with the story, too, because that's where all of the ghost sightings are supposed to be. Yeah. Wow. And when we went there, I mean, there's a lot of ghost stories there, but most of the employees refused to go upstairs alone after they'd closed. They'd oh, yeah. always go up in teams. So it, it's fun. That's another reason I really like doing this. You get to learn the history of places that otherwise you probably wouldn't have. Right. And I, I am a, a history freak. And how often is it people will willingly come up and just tell you all of their personal ghost stories? Sure. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a horror movie fan. I'm a ghost story fan. Just coming, you know, from the first party, even, you know, real or not, is just fun. That, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, when, when it comes to, to ghost stories, it, it's... It's always interesting to, to hear hear that stuff, and then you, you hear more of you know what really happened. Some of the more macabre things, you know, like the the stuff with Cheeseman Park in Denver. You know, the supposed moving of some of the bodies poorly. Um, and, oh, I guarantee you that the bodies are still there because I've right? held them in my hands. Ooh, dear. <laughs> okay, I need to hear that story. Um. Back in 2010, they were doing some construction at the park. Uh, they were redoing the sprinkler system and putting in new gardens. And one day, one of the construction workers found a body. Oh, jeez. So one of the things that he did was uh, he, he took the bones and he put them in to this bag that the sprinkler parts were coming in and went back to work. Huh. Didn't tell anybody. So oh. the next morning, there's this guy on his bicycle cruising through the park, like you do. Mm -hmm. And he sees this, you know, kind of unmarked bag sitting at the side of the road, doesn't know what it is, so he decides he'll check. Yeah. So he finds what the guy had left there, and he... Well, he did exactly what probably you would do or I would do when he found something like that. He picked up the phone and he called the KBPI morning show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Because normally, uh, due to its past and things like that, they really don't talk about when they find body parts out there. They pop up all the time. Yeah. You just don't hear about it. This time we heard about it. Yeah. So it made the news. And at that point, we thought, well... They found a few bodies out there. We know that they're there. Let's call up the medical examiner's office and yeah. see what we can find out. So we called them up and said, you know, hey, Rocky Mountain Paranormal, we hear you found some bodies out there. Click. Uh, 
called them back again and said, you know, don't hang up. This is legitimate. Rocky Mountain Paranormal, we want to do some investigation into this. We've looked in the history and would really like to bring in a team of forensic anthropologists. Nice. So we worked with the Metro State Human Body Identification Labs, which is part of the university, yeah. and brought in the teachers and the students to work on the bodies. So we got to spend the day with these people. All that was really left was skeletons. Uh -huh. Everything else was was completely gone, which honestly uh, wasn't that big of a surprise because of the way that they were buried. Okay. Uh, most of the bodies there were buried very shallow, usually around three feet deep because part of another debacle that was going on there. And when bodies are buried that shallow, yeah. uh, they decompose really quick. The wood even goes away. So all that was oh. left was the skeletons. Okay. And it was really cool because, you know, it, it, I've said it a thousand times and it still gives me the chills. People ask me, you know, have you ever talked to the dead? Yeah. We did that day and they answered. They gave us information about who they were, how they died, how they lived through, I mean, real science, but it all started with paranormal investigation. And I should reach up here and grab something. Uh, the medical examiner's office, after all of this went down, called us and said that they'd contacted the local museums and historic societies and all that sort of stuff and were, nobody seemed to want this stuff mm. and offered us the casket hardware that they pulled up over the years. Oh, wow. Okay. And how could you say no? I mean, we yeah. do a lot of talks about this. So when we go do these things, we can take them with us and say, look, here's a real piece of proof not only do i have pictures of us you know holding the skeletons but yeah. here's here's a real piece and that park has so many bizarre connections i mean the movie the changeling yeah based based, based on a house uh that backed up to the edge of the park poltergeist mm -hmm. it's one of two cemeteries that the movie was based on uh one okay. thing I can do, because it's easily to get... Did you see uh, the remake of Poltergeist? I, I did, the one with uh, Sam Rockwell. Um, yeah. I don't remember much it's, about it. It's not a good movie, mm -hmm. uh, but it's Poltergeist, so, you know, you've okay. got to... Uh, now, if you remember, in the movie, the little girl who I like to refer to as not Carol Ann... Yeah. Uh, the, the, way that she, the way that she got coerced to the other side was her favorite toy all on its own sat up and went across and got pulled into the closet. Yeah. And, you know, she carried that thing around with her through the whole movie. And, you know, through that whole movie, I was like, that is just the one iconic piece of something from this film. So with a little work and I'm standing up. Yeah. Proving I have pants on, too. <laughs> you actually got dressed today. What's going yeah. on? So, that being said, I give you the pig. Oh, yep. I remember that. Yep. Oh, and this God. is the stunt pig um, that was used to drag it into the closet. So, oh, wow. So, yep. We have the pig of corn. 
Nice. That's cool. Yeah, you, you do have uh, quite the, the collection. Um, you've been, a, how long have you been uh, accumulating uh, this collection that I see in, in the background and stuff? Probably 20 years. Oh, okay. Wow. I would have thought, you know, that went back a little bit further. Not really. I've just been obsessive about it for 20 years. Okay. And more and more coming in and I can't stop myself. Uh, I was talking to you earlier. Did you see the remake of Rabid? The Soska sisters did? No, I haven't. I've seen the original. I would recommend it. It's actually, my review was this is a much better film than it really should have been. Oh, uh, interesting. It, it is a very, very pretty film. Yeah. I, it's very, I expected nothing and I got a good movie and it confused me. <laughs> uh, so I ended up getting from uh, the Soska sisters uh, something that confuses me because I don't know what to do with it. I have this uh, wonderful surgical mask signed by them that's a promo for the movie, and this is the one surgical mask I have. Yeah. So the question is, when do you break down and use your movie prop? <laughs> right, right, especially you know, during these times. Well, and you've got the, the other, uh, you know, uh, like yeah, I got, masks. Got, uh, got these, but, you know, this isn't nearly as cool, so. Yeah. Maybe uh, for, for those of you, you know, when we when we post this video, uh, if people have suggestions uh, for Brian, they can they can uh, post them. Um, I would say for the time being, since you've got those construction masks, definitely just use this as as a prop. Just an emergency backup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, have it in a place where you have to break the glass to get it. I like that. Actually, right now it's on my display because I have all of the original lobby cards from the first movie. Nice. So. Yeah, um, I think you and I talked uh, some time ago about like, you know, when, you know, they're making remakes and, you know, most of them uh, don't come out very good. You know, they, they produce the remake because, you know, there's the audience, it's already built in, all the marketing's pretty much done for you. Um, but every now and then you've got that nugget that's pretty good and, and, they, and, and very, even more rarely, but occasionally it happens, you get that uh, remake that's, that surpasses the original, like John Carpenter's The Thing, Cronenberg's The Fly. Um, the originals are those, you know, are also, you know, classic. I was going to say, you know, I, I won't say they surpassed. Okay. Because, I mean, honestly, The Thing, the original one, yeah. was one of my favorite films. Mm, okay. And I, I kind of look at, at it and Cronenberg's as two completely different movies. Okay. Uh, same plot, but... You know, obviously, in the 80s, it was much easier to do lots of, well, Cronenberg body horror. Yes. So it worked. But that original film is just so, so amazing. Yeah. And The Fly, I mean, Vincent Price, how can you beat that? Right. Jeff Goldblum did amazing. Yeah. But that's the problem I have, is sometimes the remakes, they're as good as the originals. Mm -hmm. So... It, it's it's a really rough call, but like you were saying, most of them are just tragically bad. Right, right. Well, it, you know, I, I keep uh, equating uh, you know remakes to the you know they're going to you know, remake it obviously because of the business end and the marketing, uh, but at the same time, how many different versions of Hamlet have have been produced for the stage as well as film? Right. There's always going to be that that different version. 
I, I was watching something, I think it was on Wisecrack. It's a YouTube channel that, that marries, um, well, it applies uh, philosophy to pop culture. And, uh, and, and they're able to, you know, dissect things you know, in that way. Um, and I think uh, like one of the things that they were talking about is, you know, how you take a, a story and then reinterpret it for a generation. Um, you know, like, and for me, my personal view is, unfortunately, like what Disney does with a lot of their animated, uh, you know, features now. So like, like uh, recently you had uh, the photorealistic CG animated uh, Lion King, which was supposed to be, you know, um, live action. And it's not. But um, yeah, you've, I can go back and watch the original Lion King and love that. And I was bored to tears with the, this new iteration, but apparently there's, there's an audience out there that hasn't uh, watched the original. And this is, this is how they, they interface with that. And well, I'm, hopefully I'm watching that happen right now. Yeah. The new generations are accepting the current version because it's the first one they saw. Right. And you know, it's it's like my usual analogy. If you've ever watched James Bond or Doctor Who, mm -hmm. the first one you encountered is always your favorite. Right, right. And um, it's the same thing. If the first thing you saw was that remake and it was kind of made for your generation, generally that's mm -hmm. the one you're going to make. But what I picture some of the reality is the pitch meeting where they're at the studio going, so... What do we have the rights to? <laughs> right, right. I think that's really important is what don't we have to put out any money for to make a movie? Yep. We have this whole catalog. Let's remake it. Yep. Script's already there. You know, we might just have to dust it off a little bit, polish right. it up, and, you know, put in some jokes that would, uh, you know, refer to this generation. Yep. Update uh, the technology and you're good. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I've had this conversation too with uh, like my uh, my cousin. Uh, she is 20 years younger than me, so she grew up on Phantom Menace and and uh, episode one, two, and three. Oh, and they love it. Yeah, yeah. She uh, yeah, she seems to enjoy it. But the way I look at it, it's like, well, if that's your uh, your integration to or your initiation in in, in order to you know, watch the ones that, that, that I grew up with, uh, then, then great, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to see and hear like those perspectives, you know, from a, from a different uh, generation. Um, you know, earlier you were talking about uh, how you're, you're kind of um, consuming all these different uh, horror films on, on YouTube and, and stuff, which is such a great resource for finding obscure things. Um, you know, do you, you know, are you able to constantly surprise yourself with all these hidden nuggets that you haven't seen? I try to. Mm -hmm. uh, my main problem, if you can't tell from this, I, I'm kind of a collector of physical media. Yeah. And... It, it's the same problem that I have with books. Once I've read something, I have to have the book. Okay. I'll probably never read it again. It's going on in my bookshelf. But right. it's the same with a lot of movies. It's like, that was really cool. Now I have to go buy a copy of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I may never watch it again. But because of that, I have this ever-growing collection of DVDs. And, you know, one of the arguments I just got into with a, a producer not long ago, mm-hmm. they were all excited because they were finally being able to go to streaming. He's like, my movie, he says, somebody bought it and we're going straight to streaming. And he was so excited. And I said, that's horrible. And he says, what do you mean that's horrible? I said, how do I buy a signed copy of the stream? Yeah. In five years from now, if I want to watch that, where do I get it? It's not streaming anymore. Right. But if I have some type of physical media, I mean, even if I have a beta tape of something, I can still find a player for it. Yeah. So, you know, that's the thing is, you know, kind of being able to preserve what's out there, I think is really important. And I think YouTube's really important for that because they're a lot less lenient on older movies mm-hmm. unless the studios really go after them. That's so there's a lot of content out there that is the only place you can find it. Yeah, it's 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 also, you know, stuff like that is a really good platform for, um, you know, not only obscure titles, but like uh, filmmakers just starting out, just presenting their, their content. Uh, platform like that and like Vimeo too. You know, you can throw it out there. You can try and find your audience. Right. And I mean, there's all sorts of cool horror streaming now. You've got Shutter and Screenbox right. and Binge Horror and all of these things that, I mean, they have a lot of the new releases and top end stuff, but they have they have things that are so tragically bad. I have a hard time watching them. But, but it's giving everybody a platform to go out and show their movies. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been difficult in the past. You could make a movie and rent a theater or try and sell it. But now you get a hold of even Amazon and say, I got a movie, you can show it for free. Odds are they're probably going to show it. Uh, just as an example of how hard it is to get movies purchased, and this obviously goes back a ways. Uh, Years ago, I got an email that said there was going to be a screening of a new zombie movie in Denver. Okay. Uh, And they were trying to get people to fill the theater. There wasn't anybody really replying, and I'm like, I'm there. It's a zombie film. Yeah. So we showed up, and there wasn't a really large group of people there, but out walks the people behind the movie that are literally walking the reels across the country trying to expose their film because they need somebody to buy it. Right. Wow. It was Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and all the cast. Yeah. They were trying to get somebody to buy Shaun of the Dead. Nobody wanted it. Oh my God. And you know, they did a little Q and a afterwards and I was so awestruck. I'm like, why isn't anybody that somebody has to buy this. Yeah. But I mean, that shows how hard it is because I mean, that's a classic now. Yep. Very much so. You, you can talk to anybody that knows anything about movies, not even horror, say Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. They know what you're talking about, but it really shows you how, you know, that was what, 15 years ago. During something like that. And I don't know if you recall this. Yeah. That, that was a long time ago. 
um, during like the, the Q&A, did they talk about, you know, why it was so difficult? Did they get that kind of feedback or was it just like, we're there, not interested? There was no real interest hmm. in zombies. Okay. It hadn't really hit yet. Zombies weren't the thing. Yeah. You know, they were one of the things that really brought it to the forefront. And it was such an insider film. I mean, listening to the people that were doing the questions at the Q&A, uh, they knew their zombie movies. Yeah. They were asking questions like, how did you get approval for the music from this movie? It's like, nobody else but this group of people would have even noticed that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And there were so many little dedications to the rest of the, the zombie genre that, nobody would get so it was kind of a niche film yeah man yeah yeah nowadays and now it's it's a classic it's the standard yeah and right uh let's see where am i there is the uh cricket bat signed by simon Pegg. oh yep i see it yep it's right there okay exactly. Nice, right underneath that. What, what is that uh, Living Dead poster? It's, it's kind of whited out. That is the birth of the Living Dead, the documentary. Oh, okay, I don't know if I've uh, seen that one. I would recommend it. Okay, I just liked it because it is like the most pop art poster I've ever seen for a horror movie. And nice, I, I kind of coaxed the theater owner into giving it to me. Oh, so, that's so, cool. <laughs> that's like I've got to have that. He's yeah, like, come back in a week, you can have it. So uh that's pretty cool the uh, i think the last uh, you know zombie documentary that i saw was yeah uh, doc of the dead you know that which a lot of it was shot here yeah yeah it's uh uh robert moratori is the the dp and alexander o felipe and they're both local actors or i mean sorry uh local filmmakers uh but um you know they've they've done a lot of uh, like pop culture stuff um I don't know if, if, if you know them personally, because yeah, I know you work with a lot of uh, filmmakers uh, in general. I think I've crossed paths with them. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, when I was watching that, I was actually taking my camera out and taking pictures of the screen going, you know, texting people going, you're in this movie. Nice. They had no idea because, nice. you know, they were like the zombie crawl and things like that. Yep. And, you know, it's a documentary. There's not a lot of releases being signed. It yeah. was so much fun seeing people that I knew and places that I knew, and it that's, was just a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. It, and you, you yourself, if, if you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a, a pretty extensive IMDb page, right, with a lot of credits. Uh, uh, for anybody that can add me, I need one more to get to twenty. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you had to, you know more than that because no, okay, but you know ever growing and you know i volunteer to be killed in anything i i like that <laughs> but that's my goal is to be killed in as many movies as possible so yeah um, need me to die i'm here for you yeah um, oh go ahead oh uh yeah you've been uh, helping us out with you know colorado festival of horror uh helping us uh, procure uh you know guests and um and uh organize uh you know some of the extracurricular activities and and what what have you um is there something that you you know personally really want to see you know happen with the uh, the horror 
and, and even the paranormal uh, community here in Denver that you just haven't seen before? Um, first, I'd like them to get out of quarantine. Yeah, uh, agreed. Secondly, uh, there needs to be more horror things happening yes. in Colorado. We've got a lot of comic things. We've got a lot of sci-fi conventions. And I love those. Don't get me wrong. And I speak at most of them. Yeah. But at the same time, very horror-specific things and very paranormal-specific things are very, very light in this area. Okay. For a while, we had some. And, you know, we've got some coming back. We've, we've got the Colorado Festival of Horror. Mile High Horror Film Fest is coming back. Yeah. So it's happening. But if you look across the country every weekend barring right now there is a horror convention going on there's some sort of a, a screening going on of a major horror movie that's coming out mm -hmm. and it's not here yeah we're kind of in a very quiet little area that needs to have more yeah and how we do that i, I don't know but as you've learned i'll volunteer for anything to get that to happen Yes, indeed. Well, we're going to have to kill you a couple times on, on uh, you know, screen, to, uh, at least in promos. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, yeah. I, I think years ago, uh, we, we've kind of uh, met up when we were working with, uh, you know, Ryan uh, Poliski, uh, doing like some little, little uh, you know, spots and bumpers for uh, Horror House Fest. Horror House Fest. Yeah, yeah. Um, right there. Uh, in... in, in you didn't you have a, a partner at the time doing the the paranormal investigations or you know are you you're doing that solo now these days right well i've got a group of people that i kind of bounce things off of but okay. yeah there's just a couple of us now yeah he's gone his way doing other yeah. things and i've been doing this way too long I yeah mean, prior to him even coming in okay so yeah the only way this thing's going to die is if somebody kills me <laughs> it's it's way too much fun uh, and not just that I mean there's the the horror aspect the movies the getting to know all of the stars and people like that yeah. the paranormal investigations the the thing I really enjoy about the paranormal investigations is the fact that I get to learn all sorts of new things involving science all weird yeah. aspects of it we get you know drug into you know we've had lots of psychology we've had lots of medical doctors come in we've had as strange as it sounds yeah anthropologists uh we've had to deal with a lot of geology mm. and every time we have to call somebody in i'm forced to work with them and learn and i just love it mm. i've become a huge history buff because because of it yeah and not only that but going out and doing the public outreach going out and being able to, especially kids, mm -hmm. oh. uh, going out and being able to say, we're going to talk about ghosts. Okay. And while we are talking about ghosts, we're also talking about scientific method, critical thinking. And in doing that, the kids get to learn something that unfortunately they generally don't seem to be learning in school. Mm -hmm. but they're learning it in a way that is exciting. So they really are interested in it. So 
you know, I'm always at a library or a school or something like that talking to, you know, groups of people. Nice. Just trying to educate them in, in everything. And I mean, I have talks ranging from, you know, paranormal ghost hunting 101 to ghost stories to history to critical thinking. And depending on what people want, it's just a lot of fun being able to go out and, and inform people. I, I would love to see you sometime and maybe, you know, you know, right now during the, you know, the, the quarantine sessions, just go on like Facebook live or something and just, just start reading, uh, uh, you know, children's, uh, you know, uh, spooky stories or ghost stories or something like that. I think that would be hilarious. Get, get dressed up in your, in your, uh, your, your, uh, yeah. And then just like, Hey kids, it's story time with Brian Bonner. A couple <laughs> lights break in the fog machine. Okay. Today I'm not wearing my suit. I'm wearing my seance shirt, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's casual it, Sunday. It's, it's casual Sunday and, and seancing uh, is, you know, it, it ties into Easter, doesn't it? You got to talk to the dead sometime. That's, that's true. Well, you know, that's something else that I did. We did several years of theatrical seances. No kidding. And yeah, that is a lot of fun. It's also very difficult to convince people that they're not real. But being able to, you know, that's, it's kind of like doing a, a theater production or, a, you know, producing a movie, but you're having to do it every night. Yeah. Which is a lot of fun and absolutely exhausting. Huh. Um, yeah, is it exhausting just because of you know er, er, all the effort that goes into it, or is it exhausting and just the conversation of trying to you know, convince people one way or the other, or or just leave it as kind of an ongoing conversation? Oh, doing something theatrical, you don't have to convince them. At the beginning, we'll say everything we're about to do is fake. Okay, they, they forget. Okay. 10 seconds into it, they're talking to their dead grandparents. Mm. Uh, but it's exhausting. And I found this out. Any type of public speaking or, you know, presenting something like that. I love doing it. I don't know why. Mm. I, I used to have ter terrible stage fright. Now throw me in front of a crowd. I don't care. But it, you've done some public speaking. Yeah, I have. That, if you call it that. Yeah, it's you, you kind of get a rush off of it. It's like, I you need do. to do that again. And it's it's fun because I love telling stories. I love helping people learn things. And it's a really bizarre way to be able to do it. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, do, I really do find the, the engagement is uh, rewarding to itself. And, and yeah, the, the rush, the, the, the adrenaline, you know, doing that. Like, uh, um, like today I had a, a really bad uh, allergic reaction before I came on. Mm -hmm. I down like two Benadryl. And so my energy is like bleh, really low. But, uh, but as, as we get going, you know, I start feeling that ramp up more now than probably in previous um, um, interviews that I've done. So, so that's always interesting to see how um, – how you can pace yourself and, and uh, you know, really engage. Well, and being able to, uh, I understand theater performers now because especially doing like oh, yeah. haunted tours. Yeah. It, it's, 
I always made sure don't script anything. Tell the same story, but you know, that way if people show up two nights in a row, it's a little bit different and I don't get tired of it. Yeah. But it got to the point where it were driving to a site. I'm like, what site are we going to? Or I've been talking. I'm talking, the stories are coming out, but somewhere in my head, I'm like, did I already say that? What am I talking about right now? Because it's just yeah. the same thing over and over. So being able to, to cope with that too. Kind of that, that weird sense of deja vu maybe. Exactly. It's like, okay, I hear myself talking. I'm mean, at this point or at this point. So I'll continue. Kind of, kind of gets that echo, echo chamber going on in your head. It's like, wait a minute, this sounds weird. Exactly. Uh, I'm telling ghost stories. Meanwhile, in my head, I'm, you know, preparing dinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, um, so with the quarantine, you, you notice that uh, a lot of uh, films, horror movies, you know, also are being pushed back. Is there anything uh, that that was, you know, on the cusp of, uh, you know, being released that is you know, now pushed back uh, past the horizon that you're, you're kind of looking forward to? Uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, true. Well, that's next summer. It, it, they're saying they may push it. Oh, forward. that's right. Next summer is coming up really quick. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Terrifier 2. Yeah. Uh, pr production isn't quite done on it, and I don't know how fast that's going to happen. Right. Because that was supposed to come out in October, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, just all the movies in general. And to make matters worse, I don't know if you saw, they're saying AMC theaters may not recover from this. Right. I have, uh, I have seen that, which, uh, which is really unfortunate. We've, we've got our uh, local AMC at uh, Southlands Mall just down the street from us. Uh, which, I uh, guess they've been having a lot of problems before. Okay. This is just kind of like the final nail that's going to yeah. take it. That's, but, that's too bad. I, yeah, I, I think, you know, right now, just businesses in general, too. It's, you know, try and support, you know, what you can. Those, those mom and pa shops that are able to do curbside delivery and stuff. That's... That's what I've been doing. I keep telling people, as long as I can afford it, I will keep ordering stuff in because yeah, I want to support the community. I want to make sure that you know the local restaurant stays open, the local brew pub stays open, and okay. the only way that they're going to make it is if people go out and help them. Right. And if um, if you can afford a couple of bucks to throw at them, even artists, filmmakers, there's yeah. a lot of people out there that are starting some you know crowdfunding that right. are I mean they're desperate they make their living on doing things that they can't do anymore right uh, I've been noticing that uh, especially with uh, you know the, the comic book community tons of uh, um, artists creators publishers distributors that are just completely on hiatus um, whether for a limited time or almost indefinitely well and that's the thing it looks like the major comic book distributor diamond yeah. yeah and that that is a disaster. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be uh, excruciating. Um, so hopefully we, we bounce back uh, pretty soon. Hey, uh, Brian, we're going to have to you know uh, wind down a little bit. Oh. And uh, but where can people go to find what you do and uh, the things that uh, you're interested in? 
Uh, I'll make it easy. Uh, if you go to RockyMountainParanormal.com, uh, everything is there or linked off in there. Colorado Festival of Horror, uh, my Ever Limping Along podcast that someday I'll revive once this whole mess is over. Uh, just everything is right there. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, Brian, yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on and, and uh, chatting with us about uh, horror and paranormal investigations and you know, some of these uh, haunted uh, ghost stories uh, of Denver. Um, so we, we greatly appreciate it. I, I can't wait to see you in person in the real, real world, not, yeah. not just the digital one. Yeah, I haven't seen anybody but the family here for six weeks now, so... Okay. Wow. Uh, I, I hope you, uh, you stay healthy and uh, I hope uh, yeah, you guys are doing well. Back at you. All right. Thanks. I'm going to hit the stop record button.